Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday evening. It is July the 29th, 2022. I'm glad you're able to join me. Happy to join you so we could catch up on the latest madness that seems to be infecting America, perhaps the entire world. Uh, We're living in very odd times, very perilous times, and knowledge is power. The purpose of this program, as those of you who've been listening regularly know, is to provide you with the information that you're not going to get from the mainstream media, period. Um, These aren't left-right issues. I don't know how in the world Americans have become convinced that this has something to do with the left or the right. For far too long, America's borders have been left unprotected. 9-11 was the result. You would have thought after 9-11 that the government... Their leaders from both parties would get their act together, and they'd say, fine, job one is survival. There's an old expression that nothing helps a person concentrate better than contemplating the hangman's noose at dawn. We lost 3,000 people, thereabouts, on September 11, 2001. In the years that followed, perhaps twice as many people as were killed on 9-11 have subsequently died because they've been exposed to toxins when the towers collapsed. More people are sick and dying, and more people will die. $10 billion was allocated for the treatment of those people who were sickened as a direct consequence of the attacks of 9-11. How much more of an incentive do you need? Now, let's add to that. Let's add to the carnage. Last year, over 100 thousand people died of drug overdoses, a hundred thousand. Many of the drugs we are talking about were smuggled into the United States, not just across the Mexican border, but through international airports, through the seaport, probably across the Canadian border. America is a big sieve and there's lots of holes to be plugged and the media for whatever reason focuses almost exclusively on the Mexican border. This has been an old trick that goes back decades. Everyone's been focused on the Mexican border. Now, don't misunderstand. The Mexican border is very dangerous. It's highly porous. It lacks, it lacks integrity. But the lack of integrity of the borders is really a reflection of the lack of integrity of our politicians from both political parties. I've spoken about it before. I briefly want to recap because elections are coming, and people are trying to figure out who in the world to vote for. And very often when you go into the voting booth and you have to pull the lever or put the X down or whatever it is you do where you vote, um, we're given two terrible choices. You know, heads they win, tails we lose. And it's not as simple as saying we'll vote for the Republicans because the Republicans gave us the open borders and the competition for American workers, the visa waiver program, the first amnesty. These are all things that were done uh, under Reagan and under other Republicans. So it's both parties. After 9-11, when everybody knew that the only reason 9-11 and other similar terrorist attacks were possible was because of multiple failures of the immigration system, when DHS was created by George W. Bush, it was created in violation of the enabling enabling legislation, the Homeland Security Act. Immigration was never supposed to be divided between ICE and Customs and Border Protection. That made it impossible to get the job done. And if that wasn't bad enough, Bush folded in other agencies that had absolutely nothing to do with immigration. Customs had nothing to do with immigration. Before DHS was created, Customs was an arm of the Treasury Department because its primary focus, besides keeping contraband out of the country, is to collect duties and tariffs. It's a revenue agency, okay? Revenue, Treasury. Immigration didn't deal with revenue but people had nothing to do with one another except they both had people on the borders. Then they folded in agriculture, and then they folded in the TSA, and we're going to talk about the TSA tonight. They folded in other agencies. They were concerned about intellectual property theft and all kinds of crimes that had nothing to do with immigration. Why? To make certain that the immigration side of the operation was 
you know, <laughs> minimized, minimized after 9-11. After it was clear, if you read the 9-11 commission report, and you guys all know that I provided testimony to the commission, I've investigated and arrested terrorists in my career. As a brand-new agent, in 1976, I tripped over a terror plot in Israel. We prevented the bombing of an oil refinery. Immigration and terrorism go hand-in-hand hand the same way that immigration and narcotics and smuggling of humans and smuggling of drugs go hand-in-hand, hand, often being carried out by the same individuals and organizations. So when George W. Bush created DHS, he violated the Homeland Security Act. And then he put people in charge of immigration who had basically – no interest and no experience in enforcing the immigration laws. And we had some very amazing Republican members of Congress, people like John Hostetler, Lamar Smith, um, Jim Sensenbrenner, who said, you know, we've got to tell the truth. So every time George W. Bush did or said something stupid, which was almost any day with a Y in it, my phone would ring <clears throat> and the chief counsel would call me up. I'd see his phone number, and I immediately knew. I said, okay, what did he do now? And the he, of course, was Bush. And he would always start out saying, I know you're not going to believe this, oozing sarcasm. However, guess what? This morning, and he would fill me in. And then he would say, we're holding a hearing next week if you can come to Washington and be one of the witnesses. And I went. And I went. I thought it was rather unique to be in the position to offer a counter perspective to the president of the United States. And it's my understanding that Bush was outraged. Every time I was called before Congress or went on TV, he would scream obscenities. And I was told this by numerous members of Congress. Why? Why is it that even after 9-11, even when our national security was on the line, George W. Bush couldn't bring himself to secure the borders? Two Border Patrol agents, in point of fact, Ramos and Compion, were prosecuted, and I thought it was a terrible prosecution for doing their job on the Mexican border. So while our border was left unprotected, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but when they put the National Guard on the border and they retreated in the face of armed, and, armed drug dealers coming across the border, they were given medals for sounding the retreat. George W. Bush, thank you so much. Mission accomplished. Sure thing. Right? Why? But meanwhile, Bush sent BORTAC teams, the elite units of the Border Patrol, the tactical units, to secure the Iraqi border, to protect the Iraqi people from terrorists and insurgents, and left our borders wide open. Why? So what, the reason I'm telling you all this, before we get into the lunacy and, and what I believe is abject corruption of the current administration, I mean, there's no other way to explain what we're witnessing. I just want all of you to understand it's not enough to say, well, I'm going to vote for a Republican. There are Republicans who are still pushing comprehensive immigration reform, which would be disastrous for the United States. You know, we've got to get the comprehensive reform. I want to know why. And, and the lies are incredible. We've been hearing it forever. You can't arrest 11 million, and that 11 million figure went on for decades. We're probably up to 40 million, God knows 50, with this wacky administration. You can't deport them all. You may as well give them legal status. At least you'll know who they are. How does that work? The agency lacks resources to do anything, lacks the leadership or the moral commitment to do anything that has integrity. Look no further than Mr. Mayorkas, who runs the Department of Homeland Surrender. <clears throat> Why? Well, Mayorkas ordered people when he was the head of of citizenship and immigration services under the Obama administration to approve applications for visas that never should have been approved. ABC News did a sterling job of reporting on it back then. Mayorkas actually ordered visa applications to be approved for Iranians who had links, <clears throat> according to the FBI, to possible terrorist groups. Why would you give a visa to a terrorist? Well, that's what Mayorkas did. The Office of Inspector General did an investigation and found malfeasance. To their credit, when the Republicans raised these concerns during Mayorkas' confirmation hearings, the Democrats shrugged their shoulders and said, we don't care. Now, it's important to understand how important citizenship and immigration services is. The news media, especially television, is a visual medium. What they want is to show dramatic footage of videos. You know, anytime I've done an interview on TV, they always run some video in the background, aliens running the border, the Border Patrol engaging in a high-speed chase, 
agents in rain gear crashing through doors with battering rams and making arrests. It's exciting. It's dramatic. It's visual. The adjudications officers sit at a desk very quietly. Generally, they don't even speak to the aliens who are involved. There's just too many applications. And they just sit there reviewing paperwork. They may as well be sitting in the library doing research in a book. Nothing to see here, folks. Nothing dramatic here. And then they take out that approval stamp and go kerchunk, and they approve the application, and the guy gets a green card or the gal gets a green card. Maybe not visually exciting, but think about it. When you give someone a green card, you basically make the border go away. The green card and then a U.S. passport are keys to the kingdom. I compare citizenship and immigration services to America's locksmith. When you give away the key to the front door or the combination to the lock, you're compromising your system if you don't know who the heck you're giving it to. That's USCIS. And, in fact, they spent a year as adjudications officer. So I'm speaking from personal, firsthand, front row experience. When was the last time you saw a major story on any news program, and I don't give a damn if it's a conservative program, focusing on citizenship and immigration services? I've mentioned it before, and it's worth repeating again. When Arab um, special forces took out bin Laden, when they went and seized his library, they found a copy of the 9-11 Commission report in his library and an application for United States citizenship. And you could point to a whole bunch of aliens who came to America from the Middle East got political asylum, or got U.S. citizenship, and went on to commit terror attacks in the United States. Think of the Sarnea family, the Boston Marathon bombing back in 2013 on Patriot Day. One brother had citizenship, the other was applying for it, the family had been granted political asylum. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, I believe was 2009-2010, set off a car bomb in Times Square. He had become a naturalized citizen roughly a year before he carried out that attack. You could look at attack after attack after attack that involved aliens that came to the United States and got lawful status. When was the last time you saw a focus on that system and how it's corrupted and has no integrity? We're giving out keys to the front door, but everyone is fixated on, on the border wall, the border wall. And, you know, when I've written about the border wall and when I speak to people about the border wall, I like to use analogies because for all the screaming of Nancy Pelosi, the wicked witch of the West, (coughs) pardon me, Kermit the Frog seems to be visiting me this evening. I apologize. Um, Pelosi called it a wall of hate. How dare you? This is racism. The border wall is not designed to keep anybody out of the United States. Think about it. The border wall simply blocks off the sections between the ports of entry, but not the ports of entry. So what it really does is guide everybody who wants to come to America to go through a port of entry so they can be screened and we can keep out criminals and terrorists and aliens with dangerous diseases if the administration would do the job that the law requires them to do, but of course it's not. I want to know how that works. It's one thing for an administration to exercise what could be legitimately referred to as a prosecutorial discretion. But they go well beyond that, and they're actually operating in violation of the law, and the courts have called them out for it, saying that they're not operating in good faith. When the president says he will uphold the Constitution, defend the Constitution, well, Article 4, Section 4 says that the states are to be provided with Republican form of government and protection against invasion and domestic violence. So what are we getting from the Mexican border? Uh, and God knows other elements that no one's reporting on. An invasion. What else could you call three million people entering the country who have no lawful right to be here? That's an invasion on a galactic scale, on an unprecedented scale, isn't it? And I want to know where the benefit is for America or Americans. So I've often liked to use analogies, and I said, you know, <clears throat> when you realize the purpose of the border wall, that it's not, it doesn't block ports of entry, it just guides people to ports of entry and tries to minimize the number of people that enter without being inspected. That's the purpose of the border wall, to create integrity. And by the way, when the Republicans controlled both houses, they would not vote for the border wall either. Those of you who think that the Republicans are obviously the answer, look, the Democrats are a trade wreck, but where are the Republicans? Any better? Partners in crime, perhaps? So the analogy that I've used is that 
The board wall is kind of like the velvet rope at the bank that guides customers to the next available teller. The border wall is like the cattle run at, at the airport that passengers go through on their way to the TSA agent. You know, you go through those, those roped-in uh, lines till you get to the next available TSA agent. They inspect you and put you maybe through a, a radiation machine. God knows how much money goes to how many people that have a piece of that action, and God knows what the health risks might be. You know, you almost combine your annual checkup with an airline flight the way things are, right? And then they go through your suitcase and you get on the airplane. So when I was on Fox and Friends first a couple of years ago, uh, I remember asking a rhetorical question to use this idea of the analogy. And I asked, would you get on board an airplane if you saw people sneaking past the TSA who then got on your plane? And the young lady on the show let out a squeal and she said, of course not. I said, well, then why in the world are we being forced to live among millions of aliens who have no inherent right to be in the United States and they evaded a very similar vetting process. We conducted ports of entry. And that had everyone rattled. And when I walked off the set, I got a high five from the entire crew on the set of Fox News. Went home very happy with how that went. <clears throat> because I think it's a good analogy. Now, what's interesting was when I've said this to other people, and by the way, when you have discussions with friends, neighbors, family, whatever, always use questions, especially at the end instead of a statement. Statements, it's just, you know, us running our mouths again. Questions are very stubborn things. You ask someone a question that, by gosh, that person three days from now walking his dog or, you know, she's taking a shower or, or stuck in traffic, whoever the person is, that question is going to pop up and they're going to say, wait a minute, let me think about that question because something's wrong there. You see, questions are interesting. They spark thought and, and, and um, contemplation, which is really important. Big deal. Think of it that way. <clears throat> but whenever I've used that analogy about getting on an airplane, would you get on the plane if people were not being screened and people let out squeals and they look at me like I'm nuts and they say, are you crazy? Well, maybe not so much. Because now it turns out that the TSA is permitting illegal aliens who snuck into the United States to get on board airplanes without any identity documents other than an administrative arrest warrant issued by immigration authorities. Those arrest warrants are not reliable forms of ID. They do not conform to the minimum standards required for anybody else getting on board an airplane. And we have no clue as to who these people are. Think about that. You know, the, the excuse that TSA gives is, well, those warrants have alien file numbers that relate back to the actual person. And that's true, but they could be counterfeit documents. I have found many counterfeit documents. Or maybe the person, when they did the paperwork, lied about his or her identity. It's not that hard to imagine this, because I've been there many, many times during my 30 years. You encounter an illegal alien, and you say to the person, what's your name? And he says, my name is Jorge, and he gives you his last name. And you say, do you have any identity documents? And Jorge does not. And I say, okay, how can you prove who you are? And he shrugs his shoulders. So what choice do I have as an immigration agent who just made an arrest? Guess what name I put down on the guy's paperwork? Jorge Ramirez, Jorge whoever, Joe Smith. You know, it's, it's not only Latinos. Again, immigration laws are not about Latinos. They, I was infuriated when Trump said there's a lot of bad hombres out there and talking about immigration. I got an award from the government of Japan. Certainly they're not Latino. I work closely with the Israeli National Police ever since that terror case. I've arrested numerous Israeli citizens wanted for crimes in Israel, including one individual who was wanted for murder. We sent them back to Israel to stand trial. He was found guilty and sentenced to a lengthy jail sentence. I arrested a suspected IRA terrorist, took a gun off him. He was Irish. He certainly wasn't a Latino. I've arrested drug traffickers from Jamaica and Panama. So this isn't about race or religion, okay? But nevertheless, you arrest someone, and if they don't have documentation on them, you are forced to use the name they give you. That immigration never wanted to take itself seriously. When I first started with the INS, when I first became an agent in 1975, I kid you not, we used to fingerprint people and then mail the fingerprints to the FBI. In those days, aliens were deported rapidly. If I arrested an illegal alien on Monday, by Thursday or Friday, he or she was back in their home country. 
three weeks, five weeks, six weeks later, we'd get a notice from the FBI inquiring as, as to where the person is. Where is this guy? He's wanted for six homicides, three rapes, and one arson. Really? Yes. Well, we deported him. Oh, my God, we need this guy. He's been, this, you know, we've been looking for him for five years. Well, he gave a fake name. We had no idea that that's who he really was. <clears throat> there was an infamous murderer, Resendez Ramirez, the railway killer, who was arrested multiple times by the Border Patrol. Each time he gave a fake name. Each time they quickly processed him and sent him back into Mexico. But almost every time he came back into the country, he killed someone riding the rails down on the border, which is why they called him the railway kill. I think ultimately they identified 10 or 12 murders attributed to this guy because we never figured out who he was until after we deported him. So he was no longer in custody. He snuck back into the country and committed another murder. That's how dangerous this situation is. When, when you have Kamala Harris and other people saying we need to get to the root cause of illegal immigration, it's not simply people who are desperate and want to do a job that, uh, you know, for substandard wages under substandard conditions. That's not the case. Many times people come illegally because they are fugitives from justice or they're part of criminal organizations or transnational gangs or the cartels or terrorist organizations. So they're coming to America not only to work, but to evade law enforcement or to set up shop in America and commit crime. We have no idea why people come illegally, except that we know that they know that they belong to one or more categories of aliens who are excludable from the United States. That's why you come illegally. They can't come legally, so they come illegally. And the categories, Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, enumerates the categories. Aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, serious mental illness, criminals, terrorists, spies, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice, human traffickers, drug smugglers, the list goes on. And then we get to aliens who, if they work, would displace Americans and drive down wages. So why would you not want to keep out aliens who, for one reason or another, would be harmful to America or Americans? That's what the laws are about, folks. Period then neither party wanted to finish the border wall. Again, the border wall isn't the entire solution, but it has to be considered as an element of what should be a coordinated unified system. I compare the border wall to the wing on an airplane. Without the wing, the airplane doesn't fly. But the wing by itself goes absolutely nowhere. So you need a border wall. You need technology on the border, except the Biden administration now wants technology without a border wall. That makes no sense, or actually it does if you want to give money to a lot of contractors who are maybe making campaign contributions or giving you kickbacks in some other way. Think of it this way. Technology on the border. I was just on a radio show, and the host, nice guy, said, well, if they put drones on the border, at least that would solve the problem, wouldn't it? Neil Cavuto said the same thing to me many years ago when I was on his show. And my answer is, well, how many people get arrested by drones? And, of course, you get a lot of laughter, and they say, well, of course, drones can't arrest anybody. I said, okay, so what is the purpose of a drone? To identify people running the border under the Biden administration, are they going to arrest them anyway? Of course not. But maybe they can arrange room and board. And if you saw my article where I said that Mayorkas had become America's innkeeper because he had given more than a $500 million no-competitive no bid contract to a company that had never worked for DHS before, other than the fact their only connection was that an individual who had worked for the Biden administration transition team at DHS when Biden was elected quit the Biden administration, went to work for that company, and shortly thereafter, according to Judicial Watch, this company got over $500 million, and the Office of Inspector General found that this company also got $17 million from the administration for beds that were never used talk about ineptitude, incompetence, and potential corruption, okay? Think about all that. So if you're not going to arrest the people, what's the point? You see, the, you have to compare technology on the border to a burglar alarm on your house. The burglar alarm goes off so that the police know that someone broke in and they could go to the house and try to catch them before they escape with all of your goods, put them in jail. Back when... What we did made sense. Now, of course, they probably take him out for a steak dinner and let him go. 
But the idea is you have a burglar alarm. It alerts the authorities that there's a break-in. They can make the arrest and stop the crime in progress. That makes sense. And that's why you use technology on the border. If you're going to make the arrest, well, we all know Biden's not going to do that. His people aren't going to do that. But could you imagine having a mansion with beautiful paintings and all kinds of tapestries? And Because that's what America is. It's the most beautiful mansion in the world, isn't it? So imagine you have this incredible mansion, and you spend tons of money on a very sophisticated alarm system, and then you refuse to put doors on, on your house. So anybody could just saunter on in. You'd say, that's nuts, and I would agree with you. But if you don't complete the border wall, but you put technology on the border, you're basically taking a mansion without doors and spending a ton of money on a burglar alarm, and you don't really care who comes in anyway. These are all the games they're playing, and that issue will be a topic for a future article that I'm actually working on right now. But to go back to the analogy about TSA and the border wall, understand that they are allowing people with arrest warrants who are here illegally to get on board airplanes. We don't know who they are, so what kind of a vetting are we doing? The whole point to the vetting process is to figure out who is trying to get on an airplane, and if their name shows up in a database, that they're known criminals or terrorists or pose a threat, that you keep them off the airplane. There are many Americans who are on no-fly list because they are perceived as a threat to airline security. So if they go to the airport, they're told, sorry, pal, you can't get on the plane. Why? We know who you are, and we don't like who you are because you pose a threat ostensibly. Okay? So now you've got TSA, and they're claiming that about a 1,000, under a 1,000, well, look, I don't believe anything that comes out of this administration. When they can say that we're not in a recession, even though we're in the second quarter of a downturn economy, we're going to redefine what a recession is. You know, just like you have Mayorkas running around lying through his teeth without batting an eye, stares into the camera, the border's secure, and we're making it more secure. How do you define secure? I mean, think about that. So the argument is, well, we're only talking about under a 1,000. I want you all to think about the number 19. The number 19 is very significant because it was 19 hijackers on September 11, 2001, who killed more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And as I pointed out at the beginning of the show, the death count continues. So only under 1,000, supposedly. And if you look at the material... On, on the website for the Blog Talk program today, you will quickly see that I, I have this article up at Front Page Magazine, which is the predication. Well, well, what's happening with TSA was the predication for my article. I do a lot of writing for Front Page. I've been with them since 2014. Love working with the folks over there. And, and the title of my article, which was just published on Tuesday, is Biden's TSA Becomes the Transportation False security administration everyone thinks oh we're going through scrutiny we're safe turns out that the scrutiny isn't worth a plug nickel not when you're letting people on the airplane with unreliable documents they don't know who these people are it's a game it's a charade it's a magic act and so i, I want to read to you <clears throat> the article that was on Fox News that predicated my piece. On July 21st, 2022, just a couple, about a week ago, there was a hearing held in Washington, and the hearing focused on TSA's practices. And I, I want to read an excerpt. And again, if you go to my article, you have the links. Just click on the links. Always click on the links. You know, I'm limited as to how many words I could put into an article, so by adding links, I'm able to add more material that gives you greater insight. I I know we're conditioned as the country suffers from ADD. I mean, goodness, I think the average American has an an attention span shorter than a goldfish. But if you're going to really understand the issue, you need to read more than a headline. And I'm not going to make any assertions or state any facts without backing it up with real facts. You know, I have a contention. I was just discussing with a former colleague this morning. In fact, I mentored him when he was new on the job. He's now retired. You know you're getting old when the people you mentored are now retired. 
but I said, you know, if you're going to go on TV and talk about what flavor ice cream you like or what movie you enjoyed, you don't need credentials for that. Everyone's got an opinion. Let's go for it. Don't tell me, you know, you want to talk about which pizza pie you like. That's fine. But if you're going to talk about health issues or military issues or law enforcement issues or national security issues, as far as I'm concerned, if this is a news program that's running the story, anybody who sits down in front of the camera to provide opinion should qualify as an expert witness in a criminal or administrative trial or a lawsuit or a congressional hearing. Otherwise, what's the point to all the blather? How many people come on television and under the name political consultant? What are the qualifications to be a political consultant? It's outrageous. I have never given opinions about military operations. I've never been in the military. It would be ridiculous. I may as well go on TV and talk about the right way to do neurosurgery. I've never held a scalpel in my hand. So why in the world should anyone listen to Mike Cutler talking about neurosurgery on television? Well, you shouldn't. But we're always treated to these talking heads, and they make all kinds of crazy statements that fly in the opposition of facts and reality. You know, if these aliens have been living here for five years and they've never been arrested, then why shouldn't we give them legal status? Well, how long have they been living here? Do you know? How do you find out when someone runs the border, creates no record of entry, and there's no capacity to interview these millions of people, let alone do an honest field investigation? So I'm going to tell you what happens, just like this business about the name. Whatever date they provide will be accepted as gospel truth. There's no alternative. I wasn't adjudicated for a year. I did the job. You can't deny an application and say, well, You didn't prove that you came in on such and such date. You're going to have to disprove it. I mean, that's just the way it works. Because they're going to go to court. They're going to say, this is when I came in, and they denied my application. So you need proof. The only way you could develop proof is to have someone go out and do a physical investigation, show photographs, knock on doors, review corporate records. You can't do that when you're dealing with tens of millions of illegal aliens. The average adjudicator will be expected to do an adjudication in 30 minutes or less. And if you deny an application, that could take days or weeks because you need to get an agent to do an investigation, and there is no ability to do that. So whatever date they put down as their date of entry, in 99% of the cases, that will be accepted as the truth, whether or not it is. So what does that statement, well, if they've been living here for more than five years, even mean? Why make that statement? Why not let the audience know they could claim they've been here for five years, but they may have arrived three weeks ago, or maybe they're not even here yet, and will come in in three months and claim they've been here for the last eight years. There is no way to determine that. But the problem is, once these people in front of the cameras make these statements, People tend to believe anybody who gets in front of a television camera. How many times have you gone to a store and there's a product in shrink wrap and you look in the little corner of the packaging and there's an old-fashioned TV there, you know, the old cathode ray tube TV, maybe even with rabbit ears, and under that is the statement, as seen on TV. What does that mean? They've advertised Chia Pets on TV, haven't they? What does that mean? But people tend to believe it. Oh, it was on television. That must be true. Why else would the guy be there? Why else would he be in front of the cameras? So what happens is people with no knowledge, no understanding, no experience, make statements that are patently wrong, false, and misleading, but the audience has no idea, and they get misled. This should really stop. If the networks really had integrity, they would stop this nonsense, bring on former adjudicators, bring on agents, bring on prosecutors. Let them explain how the process works to the audience. Otherwise, what's the point to the program? To have people flap their lips without any clue as to whether or not they know what they're talking about? One of the funniest things that I could think about when I was doing lots of television, the studio, I don't remember if it was Fox or CNN or MSNBC or maybe Newsmax, I have no clue. I used to be on all those networks multiple times a week. And one day they sent the car to pick me up, 
<clears throat> and I was sitting in the back of the car for about 15 minutes. We were on the Belt Parkway heading into the city, and my driver with a heavy Russian accent started laughing. And I wasn't talking to him at the time. I was just kind of half asleep. And I said, is there something funny? He said, yes. He says, you're going on television, aren't you? I said, I am. He said, I'm laughing because it's just so obvious to me that whatever topic you're going to talk about, you must really be an expert. And I said, boy, that's an interesting observation. Why do you say that? And he said, you know, I frequently am sent to pick up people to bring them to the TV studio to go in front of the cameras. And he said, you'd be amazed, but over 90% of the time when the people get in the back of the car, they sit there working their phone, and I love his analogy, working their phone like crack addicts looking for their connection, making one phone call after another phone call after another phone call, and finally someone picks up the phone, and the guy in the back of the limo says to the person on the phone, I'm going to be on TV in 45 minutes. I'm going to be talking about X, Y, and Z. I have no idea what to say. What would you say if you were going on the program? I said, that happens a lot. He said, it happens almost always. They have no idea what to do. They've agreed to go on television, but they don't know what to say. So they try to reach someone that they think is a real expert so they can figure out what they're going to talk about once they get in front of the cameras. He said, you, on the other hand, are sitting there looking like you're ready to go to sleep. He said, you don't look rattled. You don't look nervous. He said, you look like you're ready to sleep. I said, actually, I am, and I'd appreciate it if you could wake me up as soon as we get into Manhattan. Then he laughed, and I laughed, and I said, I didn't realize it was that frequent. He said, it's almost always. He said, so I wonder why anybody, this is the driver. This is the driver, very astute young man from Russia. He said, so I wonder why people bother listening to these people if they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And he said, I'd love to know why the studio's Ask them to go on the program if they don't know what they're talking about. So the driver of that limo was asking me the question I'm asking you. Why in the world are we listening to these talking heads on TV who are basically clueless more often than not? It's nuts. And they have a profound impact on public opinion. And it's just plain wrong. And so... What I'm trying to do is to provide you the perspectives that call upon my years of experience. And when I look at this nonsense, and and you're looking at TSA lying through their teeth trying to justify a very dangerous practice, I I wind up asking myself, what the hell's going on? So so let me go back to this article that was on Fox um, News, the Fox News website. And so this is July 21st, just a few days ago. Senator Josh Hawley, who's really trying his best to do the right job, by the way. I'm impressed with Hawley, Hawley, rather. And so he has this back and forth with the administrator of the Transportation Transportation Security Administration. And um, the guy's name, by the way, is Bukowski. That's the administrator of TSA. Um, I've gotten to the point that I have a new name for TSA. It seems they ought to be calling it the Terminally Stupid Administration, okay? I had some friends in the military call the thousands standing around. So Holly, and this is the article now from Fox, Holly pushed the TSA chief on why he would allow illegal immigrants with such a warrant onto a flight at all. Quote, and this is now the response. We aren't looking at whether a person is legal or illegal in the country, he said. Our role is to make sure that the people who may pose a risk to transportation that is significant enough to require enhanced screening or, or to not allow them to fly. And Hawley goes on and then asks him, so your position is that someone who's known to have violated the laws of the United States does not thereby need enhanced screening, Hawley said. And the response, sir, There are people who violate the laws of the United States every day who fly. Pekoski responded, we look for things related to transportation security. While Pekoski again stressed that the warrant is the beginning of an identity verification process that follows, Hawley was not convinced. And then Hawley is quoted as saying, I think you're going to have a hard time explaining to folks who wait for all this time in these lines who subject themselves voluntarily to the restrictions you impose that you are allowing illegal aliens with warrants for arrest to get on airplanes. And that's exactly right. If you're telling me and you're telling the American people and you're telling the Congress of the United States of America that you don't care about immigration status, 
Why is it that under Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1324, anyone who facilitates the travel of illegal aliens is committing a felony? But that's what this administration is doing. The midnight flights, moving illegal aliens all over the country, aiding, abetting, inducing, encouraging uh, aliens to enter illegally, remain thereafter, which is uh, other provisions of that section of law, Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1324. How does this square with the law, with the Constitution, with the president's oath of office, and with standing law? It's expected that anybody who becomes the president of the United States of America will be the chief law enforcement officer of America. The idea of the executive branch, they call it executive because the executive executes the laws. They look at the law and they say, these are the laws we have to enforce. You go to a restaurant. There's a cook in the back, and you say to that cook, this is what I want for dinner. I'd like to have lasagna with a side of whatever, and then the cook takes out the menu or or the the recipe book, and he says, okay, we need, you know, 12 ounces of pasta. We need boiling water. We need tomato sauce. These are the ingredients, and he takes all the ingredients, mixes them together the proper way, and produces your dinner, and they serve it to you. The executive branch is supposed to look at the laws the same way that a chef looks at the recipe book and enforces the laws that exist. There's nothing in the law that says the president can decide to violate the laws of the United States on a routine basis. This is insanity. This is insanity. You know, when we make decisions, I want all of you to think about this. If you're going to buy a house, if you're going to buy a car, if you're thinking about getting married, if you're thinking about going to college, <clears throat> it's a binary process. There's only two possibilities, yes or no. Should I or shouldn't I? How many times have you said that? Should I, shouldn't I? Should I buy that car? Should I lease that car? And then you look at the numbers. How much is it going to cost? How much is the car worth? What's the depreciation? Does it meet my needs? You, you, you look at a young lady or a young lady looks at a guy and says, I'm going to get married. And we make up lists, pros and cons. If you go on one of the the tech websites, I don't care if it's an electric shaver, I don't care if it's a television or a stereo or a refrigerator, pros and cons. The good side, the bad side. Reasons why you should consider this product, reasons why you shouldn't. That's how we make decisions. You do the math. When the positive side outweighs the negative side, you say, I'll do it. When the negative side outweighs the positive side, to say, I'm not going to do it, right? Isn't that pretty much how most of us, if we're rational, make decisions? I was going to buy the TV, but there were problems with reliability, and they say it was more expensive than it should be, and the picture quality is lousy. Well, I'm not going to get that, right? Because you're looking at the facts, positive, negative, what do we decide? So here's my challenge. The actions taken by TSA, where is there a positive side to this? Simple question. I wish that Josh Hawley or one of the other senators had said to this guy, Pekoski, why would you do this? Where is the benefit for America or Americans? Reasonable question. When Biden allowed all these people and continues to allow all these people to flood into the United States, why doesn't somebody say to somebody at the White House during a news conference, whether it's the press secretary, whether it's Biden, whether it's Harris, whether it's Mayorkas, where is the benefit for the average American when you do the things that you're doing? Why should the average American be happy and pop open a a, a bottle of champagne and celebrate your policies? Isn't that a fair question? And you see, when you have these discussions with your neighbors, that's the question. Everyone gets caught up in the personalities and the negative stuff. Let's just look at the policies and the impact that they have on America and Americans. We have a drought, okay, out in the Midwest, historically low water. In California, they're telling people to get rid of their lawns and stop watering the shrubs and don't wash your car. Water shortage, and it's going to continue forever because of climate change. Well, we can have that conversation another day perhaps. But they're convinced that this is a long-term drought. 
Not going to get better anytime soon. Okay, so let's connect the dots, boys and girls. In a drought, the more people that are here, the more water that gets used. I think I may have mentioned it yesterday. I've done so many radio shows in the past couple of weeks. After a while, it becomes a blur. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, by the way, I'm going to be on Dr. Dave Janda's radio show, Operation Freedom, W-A-A-M. Uh, I believe it's a 2 o'clock East Coast time. Let me just check my calendar so if you are so inclined. Yes, 2 o'clock tomorrow, uh, W-A-A-M, uh, Dr. Dave Janda, Operation Freedom. And then at 9.40 a.m. this coming Tuesday, I will be on uh, the David Webb radio show on Cirrus Radio, Patriot Radio, Cirrus XM. And so you keep doing radio and TV interviews after a while. It, it all kind of blurs. But, but, you know, the point that I keep making is why in the world aren't we demanding that someone answer a fundamental question? How are these policies beneficial to the average American? No one seems to ask that particular question. And, and, and I think that there's just no reasonable answer that anybody could come up with. Why is this a good idea? You know, why, am, why are you going to buy a TV when they tell you that the darn thing will probably break in four weeks? Would you buy it? It's like a three-legged racehorse. I don't see any benefit for America or Americans flooding America. You've got a drought. Why would you bring in more people? If you have a water shortage and people need water. You know, I did a study, and this is what I don't know if I told you last week. Forgive me. I'm having a Biden moment, I guess. But according to some websites, the average human being requires a minimum of 100 gallons of water per day. 100 gallons of water per day per person. Why? Well, you need it to wash your clothing. You need it to flush the toilet. You need it to take a shower and brush your teeth. You need it to drink, and you need to put water to make the food that you're going to eat. That even if you go to a restaurant and you're not cooking the food, they're going to use the water to cook the food for you. So everyone who's here has an environmental impact. 100 gallons of water, everyone here needs electricity and access to transportation and access to health care and on and on and on. If we're going to talk about being green and being environmentally sane, Shouldn't we then be limiting the number of people who come into the United States? Because everybody who comes here has an environmental footprint. That's the reason I wrote an article a while back where I propose that any time there's a discussion about significant change in immigration law that could result in more aliens coming to America, that it must be preceded by an environmental impact study. Common sense. Can we do this? Can we do this? What's the economic impact? What's the impact on education, health care, the environment? Isn't this rational? You're worrying about inflation. You bring 3 million people in, 3 million people who all need food and clothing and shelter. <clears throat> They're making demands on the system, the system that right now is overheated because of inflation. You add 3 million consumers, that's an inflationary pressure. You're trying to suppress inflation, why then are you putting more people in the marketplace who are going to increase inflation? Isn't that a reasonable question? This isn't a difficult subject when you break it down logically. And if you speak to your neighbors, talk to them about this. If you worry about crime, and no one wants to talk about how many people who come here commit crime. And I will tell you, and I, I know I did talk about this last week, when I was assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA back in the early, ladies, early 80s, and, uh, I'm sorry, the late 80s and early 90s, I did a study about who we were arresting, and I was stunned. Because back then in New York City, 60%, 60% of the people that we were arresting at the DEA task force for drug trafficking and related crimes, and remember, DEA, we weren't arresting people for a couple of joints in their back pocket. We were arresting people with tonnage. We were taking automatic weapons out of houses, even a, in one case, hand grenades out of the house. This, this is major-sized investigation. Same thing at the FBI. I had desks back then uh, at the FBI, DEA, so forth. We saw huge amounts of drugs. So I, I raised the question of DEA intelligence. Who are we arresting? And it turned out that 60% of the people that were being arrested by the DEA task force were foreign-born in New York. Nationally, it was 30%. So if you look at the violence and you look at the mass shootings, and again, I'm going to make the same suggestion, 
Why are we not demanding toxicology results on people engaged in mass shootings? All we hear about is mental illness, mental illness, mental illness. Okay, fine. So if you're concerned about mental illness, what contributes to mental illness? Doesn't habitual drug use potentially contribute? I can tell you that we were always warned when somebody was a long-time drug user, we were warned if we were going to arrest them, that that person's judgment is impaired, whether or not they're high on that particular day. And, of course, if they're high on that particular day, well, absolutely look out. I remember one case, which was incredible. It was almost like a scene out of a movie. We were doing surveillance on a major drug dealer in Jackson Heights, Queens. And as we're doing the surveillance, we get a call on the radio, believe it or not, from, D- from DEA Communications, that the FBI in Florida reached out to DEA New York. The guy we were following got on his cell phone and called up his boss in Florida, because his boss was down in Florida, and said, I'm being followed. I don't know if it's our opposition, meaning another drug trafficking group or law enforcement, <clears throat> but he said, I've got my machine gun in the back seat you want me to jump out and spray them? So the FBI was trying to figure out who this guy was, where this guy was, and where he was calling from. They figured out all of that. Their people up in New York were not following anyone by that name, so they asked DEA, do you have a surveillance on this guy? And DEA said, yeah, we do. They said, well, be advised, this guy just called for permission to open fire with a machine gun. <clears throat> so what we quickly did was we, we always had at the task force, it was, it was agents from all sorts of agencies. It was DEA, it was FBI, it was ATF, uh, immigration, um, uh, IRS in some cases. We also had city and state police. So we got New York City cops to join us quickly, pull the guy over for running a red light. And as he pulled over, we surrounded him with drawn guns. And sure enough, this guy had a fully automatic machine gun in the back seat with hundreds of rounds of ammunition. And this was back in the 80s or early 90s. So understand the level of violence that goes with drugs. And we've never had more narcotics flowing into America. And then you have the radical left demanding gun control. And I just want to give you something to think about when you have conversations with your neighbors. I had this conversation with a couple of my kids. And they said, Dad, shouldn't we get these darn guns off the street? And I said, well, how do you do that? Well, if they pass gun laws to control the guns, I said, and what does that do? Drugs are illegal. Because they're illegal, shouldn't they be off the street because they passed the law that says it's illegal to have these drugs? The drugs are out there in greatest quantities we've ever seen. Passing a law that renders anything illegal doesn't make that object or that substance or, or those mechanisms go away. You know, man's laws are not like nature's laws. The laws of nature are immutable. The speed limit or the speed of light isn't established by Congress and enforced by somebody with a badge and a radar detector at a summons book. Rendering guns illegal will simply mean that criminals will be the only ones who will have access to those guns. And, in fact, Fox News just did a story, and it's very interesting. They interviewed some gangbangers in Chicago, and I find that interesting because I worked with the Chicago PD. I arrested an individual, one of my last significant arrests before I, I, I retired, wanted for murder in Chicago. He came to New York. He came to the United States as part of the Mariel boat left from Cuba. He was running a gun trafficking organization, and he ordered a, the murder of a black kid who got caught up in the drug trade in Chicago. I was credited with his arrest. They got the NYPD to work with us. And we took this guy down. We actually recovered the murder weapon in his house here in, in, in New York, in Queens. So uh, understand what we're talking about. If, if you're going to arrest somebody for a gun and put him in jail, that's one thing. But to simply render firearms illegal doesn't change anything unless you're enforcing the laws. And when they interviewed these gangbangers in Chicago, a couple of things came out of the interviews that were interesting. One thing they said was they do a lot of carjackings because it's easy, and they've learned how to do it really well by playing video games where you do carjackings in the video games. And I have been saying that for quite a while that video games can be simulators for crime, whether it's a mass shooting. I mean, think of all these games that kids play where they go room to room with a machine gun and blaze away, and it also desensitizes them to the idea of violence. 
And many of these kids do not live with adults. They live within the gang. No adult supervision here, folks, okay? And one of the gang members was, was questioned about the guns, and he said, guns are easy to come by. And the reporter said, well, aren't you worried about being arrested? He said, I used to be, but not anymore. If they're not going to arrest me when I have a gun or they're going to let me out on the street, why wouldn't I have a gun? So that's really the question. Why in the world are the people who want the toughest gun laws that we've ever had want the laxest law enforcement policies that we've ever had? It doesn't make sense. The reason that New York used to be the safest big city in America was that if you were caught with a firearm, you didn't have to be committing a crime. You drive in your car, you get pulled over by a cop, the cop sees the gun. First question he's going to say is, you have a permit? No, sir, I don't. You're under arrest. And anyone caught with a gun without a permit was looking at a minimum of two years in jail, period, no discussion. You went to court, two years in jail, boom. So people were deterred from carrying firearms because they knew there would be consequences. There are no consequences today. My biggest concern is that what they are doing on the left is to try to get crime to be so terrible, so violent, of such great numbers that eventually the federal government can step in and say, we're going to federalize law enforcement. So we'll have total control over society. You might think I'm crazy, but the Third Reich did the same exact thing. The Third Reich did the same exact thing. Himmler wound up having control of all law enforcement right down to school crossing guards in Nazi Germany. You know, just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean you're not being followed, as you like to say, in law enforcement. There is no rational thought process otherwise for being adamant about tough gun laws without law enforcement. It makes no sense. <clears throat> so you have to ask yourself, what could be the motivation? Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I'm hope, I hope I'm wrong. But when people start talking about gun control, please understand, that gun control without law enforcement means nothing. All it means is that people who are law-abiding, that's why we call them law-abiding. They don't follow the law because the cop is breathing down their neck. They follow the law because they're honest, honorable, decent people. And they are the ones who are being put in the greatest risk by the lunacy of the radical left. And if you don't believe it, look at the violent crimes, look at the homicide rates, Look at how many people are being robbed, how many businesses have been put out of business by violent crime across the board, particularly in cities and states run by radical lunatics. Someone needs to ask them, how does that work? How does it work that you're going to get guns off the street by making tough gun laws, but doing everything you can to defund the police and emasculate the police and take away the protection that the law used to give them if they operate in good faith? This is not a prescription to reduce crime, but to increase crime and make it clear that they've cleared the path for the most violent criminals who have firearms. And again, I'd love to see toxicology on those people who pull the trigger. When someone crashes a bus or a car or even an airplane, the first thing you hear about was whether or not that individual had alcohol or drugs flowing through their veins. Why isn't that a routine part of the reports? on anybody who's involved in a shooting, particularly a mass shooting. Food for thought and a question that you should be asking your neighbors the next time that this discussion about immigration or gun control comes up. Questions are very useful tools. They're very thought-provoking. And please never forget what uh, Voltaire had said. You judge a person's intelligence by the questions that they ask. I thank you so much for joining me. I uh, hope you have a great weekend. Please engage your neighbors in conversation. Don't attack them. Don't get nasty. Don't use idiotic terms like bleeding heart liberal. We should, we should be happy that people are compassionate. It's not a negative to be compassionate. It's the kind of quality that hopefully we all want in our friends and in our children. So let's be careful with the use of language, and let's have meaningful conversations and remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend. Stay cool, everybody. Be safe.